0: Taking action is the first step to change. The Shiv Show, an irregular podcast in a regular world. Introducing your host, Shiv Rad.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode three of the Sales Series podcast. Now, this episode is one of the most important lessons sales can teach you and arguably how this podcast even came into fruition, and that is the power of connection. Now, when I say connection, I don't necessarily mean the network that you have, but I mean the importance of connection between you and another. Connections are super important, and the funny thing is I've stayed connected with this guest over many years. Now, we haven't spoken to each other every single day, but we have kept up with each other's successes, failures, trials, and triumphs over the years, and that is exactly why we still have a connection. Now, in this episode, I interview someone that has made a huge impression on me from across the globe And that is Chris Black, the COO of Jalera, which is an award-winning Canadian technology service provider. Now, Chris is an absolute champion, just absolute champion, and someone who I think I can learn from, and I think each of you can learn from as well. Now, we discuss everything from how he fell into sales to his journey to becoming a humble C-level exec in a not-so-humble world, which, of course, is the world of sales. And I use humble I wish I can bold it right now because he is probably one of the most humble people that I know. Listen, I can keep going on here, but this will be the entire podcast. So without further ado, put those headphones on or pop this podcast on in your morning commute and listen to the legend himself, Chris Black. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Shiv Show, the sales edition. Now, today's guest is someone who I haven't spoken to in years, but uh, I've definitely kept up with his success over the years. A seasoned salesperson with a very successful career. Now, that always guarantees us with some good stories, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. Uh, A successful sales career isn't just what it seems. There's a lot of ups and downs baked into success, and I definitely want to bake into that. So let's hear it from the champ himself, Chris Black. Welcome to The Shift Show, my friend.
0: The champ. Thanks, (laughs) Shiv. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I, I love being called the champ. That's probably a first.
1: It has been a long time. Wow. Well, that's that's what you are, man. That's what you are, definitely. I think, uh, like I said, I followed you over the years, and again, we worked together when I was in Canada, and now I'm here in Australia, and I'm, you know, you're still motivating me from across the world. So, thank you for that.
0: That's a two way street, you know. Being offered to come on your show, that's that's a big commentary on uh, on networks and relationships and some of the things that drive sales. And I've been watching you from afar too, and. Having the chance to come on here was uh, was definitely something I wasn't going to say no to.
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Let's let's jump in. Why don't we give the listeners uh, a bit of a spiel on, on who Chris Black is? Oh, boy. How to unpackage that in, in 30 seconds or less. <laughs> exactly.
0: Who is Chris Black? Uh, Chris Black is a, a 39-year-old work in progress, man. I'm, I'm a, a, a victim or, or recipient of the human experience. I don't know. A Canadian boy... <laughs> Born and raised in in Calgary, Alberta, right outside of the mountains. Um, you know, I, I cut my teeth in sales. I've carried a bag for most of my career. I've been unbelievably fortunate to have great clients, great mentors, great teams, um, and to build a, a network of amazing people. That um, you know, through these are going to sound like cliches, but I'm a big believer in cliches. But through accountability, hustle, um, empathy. Uh, and just sheer stick to itiveness and hard work i mean I've been able to build what's been a what I think is a really good career with a wonderful family and um I wake up loving life and and looking forward to the next challenge every day
1: that is that is beautiful that is beautiful i I love your mindset alone in the first minute of this I, and I definitely want to break into you know authenticity and some of the things that you said but what I'm curious about is how did you how did you get into sales because Every single time I speak to someone, they've fallen into it. Is this something that you plan to go into, or did you did you fall into it?
0: Oh, man, I grew up. I wanted to be a lawyer. To be completely honest with you, <laughs> so <laughs> not, did I. Not, not that I'm argumentative, but uh, you know, I I always loved a good debate. I, I loved a good conversation, and I, I I liked picking a side and and bringing other people over to that side. So for for me, I you know, you're right. I fell into sales. I'm I went to university. I finished high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was know, kid from the wrong side of the tracks that wasn't given a lot of opportunities in life. And I'm not trying to make this a, a woe is me story, because I think that, you know, coming from the life that I came from with some of the uh, the challenges that I had, I mean, that helped build the character that I have for better or for worse. Right. So sales for me, I went to university to take IT. I was always interested in computers. Um, I was fascinated by them. I saw them becoming a big part of our everyday lives. And, uh, and I went to university to do that. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't come from a family that could pay for my university or support me. So I, I needed to work full-time while I went to school full-time. And I ended up, you know, working at a, a place. If you're from Western Canada, you'll know what it is. If you're not, you won't. But anybody from the West would remember A&B Sound. And it was a Western Canadian electronics retailer. And it was, it was the original culture company. You know, it was... You come and be yourself. I remember people with blue hair, earrings that worked in the music department. We had all sorts of guys worked in car audio, home audio, like before Future Shop and Best Buy sort of made retail electronics vanilla and blase. Before the internet was such a great resource of information. And you know, I spent the late nineties, you know, getting myself through university and uh, and work in retail and and you know truly learning the the sales craft. On the front lines, learning what rejection is, learning how to pitch and position, be compelling, um, learning to ask the right questions and and engage with people and build a network, and and you know really feed myself off of referrals. So that's you know in a nutshell, that's how I got involved in sales. And you know thanks to some great mentors, the the bust of 2000 when you know the the internet and all of the the big e companies were dying left, right, and center. I got out of university and. My prospects were limited. So I, you know, I was looking at taking a help desk job for, you know, 30K a year or to stay doing what I was doing, making that much money. And um, you know, somebody within AB Sound, his name's Vic Hender, and I owe so much to him. He uh are <laughs> sitting on a patio at an Earl's patio, funny enough, drinking uh, Bellini's one afternoon in a sunny day. And I was talking about my you know, do I stay or do I go? And and he said, you know what, why don't you come over and work for the corporate division of A and B you work under me and I'll teach you how to actually sell. Cause what you've been doing up until this time is you've just been serving demand. You've been, you know, for, for lack of a better term, you've been picking up the phone, people walk through the turnstile, ready to buy. I'm going to show you how to create demand. I'm going to show you how to deal with business people that are discerning and, and that are going to force you to understand your value proposition. Um, and I, I, I took the bait and I swallowed it whole and that's
1: where I started. Look at that. I, I do want to dig into one thing now. Now we'll, we'll t- his name was Victor, correct? Vic Hender. Yeah. Vic Hender. Okay. I do want to chat about him before. Cause I, I think there's always that one person that kind of throws you into it. And, and you know, you, you never forget them, but you did mention rejection. And I wanted to bring this up because when I first started my sales career, I worked at Bell Canada for a little bit. Obviously everyone in Canada knows what Bell Canada is now rejection was just part of the you know the daily job we you know i i cold called and i had an automatic caller and i'd probably make you know 100 to 300 calls a day and out of 300 calls i'd probably say 280 were rejections and i always go back to that time when i when i speak about sales that is what taught me real sales rejection is sales because you're going to hit rejection probably a lot more than you're going to hit the positives especially when you're first in your career now, talk to me about some of the rejection that you hit when you were working at the shop. Oh man. And, um, and exactly how that framed you to to be who you are now. I
0: I think rejection and and that failure and, you know, being able to get back up and learn from those lessons, that's that, you know, I talked about creating character. That's what ultimately really hardens the shell of a salesperson. And that can go two ways. You can become, you know, it it can burn you and you can become offset by it and and run from it, or you can embrace it and take the challenge head on. And I, I mean, when you work a retail floor and anybody who's ever, you know, not just been paid commission, but people who have lived off of commission where you didn't have a salary, where there was no safety net for you. You know, what you closed was what you ate. Um, you you learn, rejection happens a lot to, to your point, um, but you learn that, that that rejection actually dramatically impacts your quality of life. Um, you learn that time is your by far your most important element so you you learn to pick and choose your spots that that idea of winning fast and losing fast that that doesn't it's just not a nice to have it's not a talking point that's an absolute necessity because if you spend an hour with a customer who comes in and you know is you know, what I'll refer to as tire kicking and they're tire kicking and you know you've tried to qualify them and and they they just it doesn't feel right you you got to use you learn to attenuate your senses to that and you learn to you know, provide excellent customer service, be a representative of the brand, but get the hell out of a conversation. Um, if the customer's not ready to buy, you leave them with an information tablet. You, you provide them what info you can, but you, you have to help them understand that there's other customers that you also need to service. Um, you, you learn to, I, I, this is gonna sound really weird, and it's the opposite of, of what most salespeople teach or have been taught. And it's something I fundamentally believe in. And I've talked to my teams a lot, but you, you learn to disqualify, not to qualify. Um, mm-hmm. I walked yep. into, even now today, when I walk into new partners, representing Jollera, um, with all of the great solution that we have, you know, not everybody's a buyer. Not everybody wants to, to make a deal. Not everybody's likes your personality or, or likes what you have to offer or believes that they need it. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to disqualify them and figure out why shouldn't we do business together? And it could be philosophical differences. It could be timing differences. It could be lots of those things. That helps you get your time back. And, and I think that was the most important lesson that I learned at A&B is that time is everything. I've got six hours on this shift, and then I'm going to go home and study for another six hours, and I'm going to go to school exhausted tomorrow. I better make it down worth my while.
1: Yeah, that, and, you know, there's a, it reminds me of a, a book called Never Split the Difference by Christopher Boss, who is I think the FBI's number one negotiator. Amazing book, if you haven't read it. He talks about getting getting to know the fastest is what's going to get you the win. Because essentially, we all know, especially in, in, in sales career, a rejection today may not be a rejection tomorrow. But if you get to that no, you get to negotiate. That, that starts off your negotiation. If you get to a yes, great. You know, but unfortunately, sales isn't a yes right away. But once you get to that no, it kind of gives you some ammo for negotiation. So I, I definitely love that
0: absolutely you're you're actually in the last three days you're the second person to recommend that book to me and honestly i haven't read it i've heard of it many times my friend john mclaughlin up in edmonton recommended it to me as well so it's definitely on my list to pick up
1: i'll tell you this chris the day after reading it i started putting it into uh, practice so highly recommend it and to everyone listening never split the difference christopher voss amazing amazing book awesome there's one thing that, uh, you know, you talked about Vic. Are, are you someone else's Vic now? And I'm sure you are. But, you know, who do you mentor now and, and how does that make you feel? You know what, I, I, again, I'm, I'm going to be
0: – I hate to sound counterculture on so many things, um, but I, I really, really – you, I don't think a guy like Vic or, or you know, my mentor after that, you know, Vic threw me in the water and, and taught me to dog paddle. Mike Mike Blackwell put me in the deep end and uh, and actually taught me to swim. And, and then Doug Gray dunked me under the water and made me figure out how to get back to the top. So I've had a lot of, of amazing mentors out there. Um, I don't think you purposely go into it and say, I'm going to be your mentor. I think it just naturally happens. So a- am I anybody's mentor right now? I. I hope so. I, I I don't think purposefully there's nothing in my calendar that says, here's my mentorship session that I'm going to do with something. Yeah. I think that would be to me at least, and I could be wrong, and I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings, but that would be disingenuous. I think when I look at my teams and, and whether it's the members of my teams who have 20 years more experience than I do, I, I've got guys with, with 20 years more experience than me. I mean, I, I think what I'm bringing to the table is is a perspective, an experience set, uh, a set of opinions. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to call that mentorship, I think it's, if you're a good leader, it's there every single day. It's in every interaction and it's, it's a part of your DNA. So I, I would say, yes, I'm a mentor for people. I couldn't identify who they yeah. are because I'm hoping it's everybody that I interact with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, lo- I love that answer. Who who do you look for in a mentor? I mean, there's obviously and, and personality wise is what, what I'm trying to get at. So what, what sort of personality do you look at for a mentor? You know, it's interesting. I, I I sit back and if you had asked me that a year ago, I, the answer that
0: I would have given you is I would have given you forthright, upfront, honest, like the the chivalrous knight picture of of somebody who's out there, you know, living the the Buddhist mindset and and. It, <laughs> Uh, what I found, and it's weird, you, you find certain things. Like I'd say my met, my biggest mentor right now, and I'm not saying it to to kiss his ass because he's my my boss and business partner, but my, a guy I'm learning a lot from right now is a guy named Alex Shen, um, the CEO of of our organization. And I mean, I spend more time with him talking about business strategy, tactics, uh, and and driving our business. I spend more time with him than anybody else, and his his approach is. Um, the opposite of that chivalrous knight, not just that like he is he has values, he has integrity, he has all of those things, but he's just so bloody direct and honest. He just doesn't, there's none of the bullshit, there's none of the catering, there's none of the I, I'm gonna make you feel good for the sake of making you feel good. You know, he mm. he will give you credit when credit is due. Uh, he will hold you accountable, even if you don't think you should be. But just the the there's no splice, there's no facade, there's no He's not putting a, that shiny coat on the front. He's just calling it for what it is. And what I'm learning from him is, you know, to to be more direct, to be more. And it for certain people, it comes across as uncomfortable. But I think a mentor for me is is authentic and honest is the best way that I can say it to you. They are themselves. They're speaking from history, experience, and opinion. Um, and and they're just going to share with you the why, not just the what,
1: but the why. Mm. I love that. And, and tra- it goes back to transparency, right? If someone's being transparent with you, you essentially want to follow them and you want to learn from them, right? Because you're right. There's no facade. There's no mask. It, that It is just that genuine person. Yeah. So I love that. We,
0: we, we gravitate towards authenticity. I think, you know, we... You know, you talk about books, and I know you're a fan and, and lover of books as well, but I, I look at a, a book like Daniel Pink's Drive. I mean, that's a book I refer to in conversations probably three four times a month because it, it was just so compelling to me, um, removing all of the bullshit and and focusing strictly on what drives and motivates people. And, and how they want to be engaged and how they want meaning and how they want some autonomy. Like it just, it, it blew me away. And I, I think if you take a step back, what should we all look for in a mentor? Somebody who's going to challenge us to be better, think different and, and push us to places we didn't think we could go.
1: Absolutely. There, you know, his other book, uh, to sell as human is is another great one, especially when it comes to sales and, and, and just humanizing it, you know, we're not all robots. So if you haven't read that, highly recommend it and it it sounds very similar to drives which I I haven't read but I will check it out absolutely (laughs) there is so I actually didn't tell you the reason why I'm doing the sales podcast but the the, the reason why is because there's such a negative connotation attached to sales and and Mm -hmm. growing up you know going through university I wanted to study law sales was never even an option although I was you know selling cell phones at a at a flea market for years and years and had you know three or four booths so I was always selling but it was never something that I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go into sales. And it had that negative connotation attached to it. Why do you think that is? And why do you think you know universities aren't really teaching people how to sell?
0: Well, I think that negative connotation goes alongside of it. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I, I sit in my own home and I've got uh, between uh, – my wife is probably the best salesperson I've ever met. And she's never had a sales job in her life. But if you, if you look at – if you take away the the sales and and what are do you doing? You're building relationships. You're advocating for something. You're you know you you're trying to change a mind or an opinion and offer value uh, and offer an outcome. Sales just has a price attached to it. All it is is you're coming in from the outside in and you're attaching a price to an outcome. Whereas people within their jobs on a day to day basis are doing the same thing um, within organizations all the time. There's simply not a price that you have to pay to an outside vendor. But there's a price within a budget there's a price of time the most precious commodity we have so i think you know you know to sell to sell is to be human that, that's exactly right because we're all selling and i don't think they teach it in university because quite honestly i and this I, I could be wrong but i don't think there's any any university that can afford to pay a great sales teacher to stay and sit and drive it. I don't think you can teach sales in a classroom. And there's some great guys out there. Don't get me wrong. Jim Keenan. Um, if you ever see Jim Keenan live, you know he's got the he's got the book um, Gap Selling. Like it's one of the most fantastic value selling books I've ever seen. I've I've been really fortunate to to have met Jim a couple of times and just a great human being. But he can teach sales. But if you talk to him, he can't teach it in a in a three hour session. He's not Tony Robbins getting you to explore your feelings. Sales is, is different. It's it's a mixture of, of personality, process, um, fact finding, um, value provisioning. It's just a different beast, and I don't think university could grasp it. And I, I'm not trying to be disingenuous because they teach you how to. Particle physics and and stuff that I can't even wrap my head around. But selling is human, and human is the most nonlinear thing out there. Dri- helping understand people's emotions and buying behaviors is it's more psychology than anything else. And, and I think it's deep, and I think it's difficult,
1: and I don't think you can learn it in school. Yep, I, I agree, and I think it just goes back to rejection, right? I think you know when I went to university, I ended up switching and doing business and marketing and finance, and. I thought that was sales. I thought oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into sales. I'm going to be the best salesperson ever. And when I joined Bell and got that rejection, I, it was like a slap in the face. Say, oh, this is this is sales. <laughs> it's not just exact. You know, it's not the, the the maybe the 10 minute spiel that they talk about sales in university. It is getting slapped in the face because you have to get used to that. You kind of have to toughen your skin if you want to, you know, stay successful in, in in this sort of industry. So it's 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 very different. And I think. With university, and I always say this when I speak, is university taught me time management. It taught me how to handle my my schoolwork and handle my family and my relationships and my work and and my partying and, and all that stuff. It, it taught me time management. But then once you step out in the real world, that is essentially, you know, for me, that was sales.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, it- it's hard to learn hustle. It's hard to learn intensity. You can, Time management is the best way to look at it. They they definitely teach you that if you're there paying attention and applying the knowledge.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's the, the big if. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a huge if, especially in year one. Yeah,
1: exactly. Now, the the reason I was drawn to you is you wrote this article about 2019, and I definitely want to dig into it. And, and I think it was such a brilliant article. It was a simple article, and it but it just talked about so much. So I have a couple of... Uh, it's birds that I want to read out. And, and you talked about failure and I, I love talking about failure because once you embrace it, essentially nothing can break you again. You become so hardened. Now, I'll, I will read this out. And, and I love it. You, you, you wrote this. You wrote embrace failure. Yeah, it's cliche, but damn, it's so true. Failure causes trauma. That trauma forces repair. Repair leaves you smarter and less susceptible to repetition of the failure. Plus, the feeling of a win after a pain of loss is so sweet. Now, I, I love that. It, it, it just, it literally embodies everything that I've been trying to teach for the past couple of years, that failure is actually important and you should embrace failure. And I know we did speak about this before, but what was going through your head when you wrote this? And and if you can share, what sort of failure were you talking about?
0: Ah, uh, you know, it, I think too often, especially when you get to, to executive levels, right. there's there isn't uh we talked about authenticity, but there's there's also honesty and, and sharing we, – we live in a world where everybody wants to see success. Everybody wants to see all these – I'm not going to throw out any names, but we know who they are. These goofballs in the private planes posting their perfect pictures and, and their perfect life on Instagram. And you know it's bullshit. Like you you just know – you know – you know Cardone isn't living like that every day. You know he's struggling. You know he loses. Like I love the guy. I've seen him speak a couple of times. But like you know, life isn't like that. It's just not for any of us. And and for me, when I sat back, you know, I, I, part of part of what the the personal brand that I'm I'm building that I've been working on, and it's not about anything more than I think we need to be honest and share. And I, I look at you know, you talk about mentorship. I think the more that we can share with each other that the better this place will be, the better the sales industry will be, um, the, the less contention there will be between buyers and sellers. And I just, I don't know, I, I I got to a point in my career where I don't need to be somebody that I'm not anymore. I've, I've proven myself. I've got a CV to to take me where I want to go. And I'm just going to be honest and share my experiences. So that that's what my LinkedIn is. It's a, It's a shared experience. So you know, when I did my 2019 year in review, I, I went into 2019 feeling really, really good, scared. I hadn't had a new job in 15 years. I worked at Grimcon for a long time, most of my adult life. Uh, coming into a new – these are new people. It's a new world you have to prove yourself in. Um, are you up for the challenge? You know, no matter who you are, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to have questions. You're going to have doubts. And anybody who tells you, no, I'm too confident for that bullshit, um, that's bullshit. just insecurity speaking. That's all that is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, when I looked at, mask. at 2019, I failed a lot in 2019, and I, you know, I didn't hang myself by any stretch. But you know, I made decisions. Um, you got to make bets. Life is about making bets. Um, I made bets on people that were wrong. I, I, I made bets on new customers that were wrong. I, I, I put my neck on the line for for other individuals, and 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 got uh, got my hand slapped for it. I mean, I, I failed a lot. Um, but I was also at a point where I, I knew I had the sort of relationship with my CEO that he wanted me to fail. He wanted me to go out there and, and test not just my metal, but our business's metal and and to make some bets. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's a series of wins and losses that take us to where we need to get. So when I wrote that, I, I was thinking a lot, you know, 2019 was a transitionary year for me. I thought about, about the, the Graycon integration into Rico and um, for all the successes that happened there, there were, there were a number of failures there too. And um, I thought a lot about that because not 2019 for me was a year of, you know, building myself back up and, and proving that, uh, that I can do this, I can do this at scale. So when, when I wrote that, I, I thought a lot about the repair and, and how I spent the early part of 2019, you know, getting the, the scar tissue worn off and, and starting to flex the muscles again and, and starting to make those bets and seeing them come to fruition, either good or bad, learning from it and, and just building momentum. That's
1: where my head was at. I love that. I love that. And and the one thing I wanted to ask you, because you brought up loyalty. Now, in, in such an industry where I don't want to use the word cutthroat, but essentially in sales, sometimes it could be you know pretty sharkish. And you know, a lot of people are out for themselves. We all have quotas and goals, and that's essentially what we're focused on. So you talked about loyalty. How do you know loyalty is is actually loyalty?
0: That's a a tough one, man, because, you know, there's so many guises. There's so many – there's a lot of people who are front, and and they're (laughs) not authentic. Um, But I think you have to – and it's not naivety, like I'm a pretty good judge of character. I've been around enough to know one or at least have a pretty good idea when I'm being jerked around and when somebody's not sincere. But I mean you can get caught unawares, it, it can happen to any of us. So I go into almost any new relationship a, as often as possible without bias. I try and I try and walk in regardless of what I've heard or what I've been told or what that first impression is, and I try and get a chance. Um and and for me it it's you're gonna prove it in your actions and your behavior and and the bullshit gets called out very quickly. Like, you can't hold a lie for long, right and mm-hmm. you know, if, if you if you engage with somebody and you ask the right questions and and you're as involved as you need to be, it sort of plays itself out um and if if you if you're true to yourself and and you're true to who you want to be, um it allows you to have a really clear view of the people you're interacting with. Um, and it gives you the ability to call a spade a spade and and then you get to decide what what to do afterwards. you know do you continue with that I'll call it poisonous that's a little bit harsh, but that poisonous connection or or do you move on from it and and my personal approach is I don't want relationships like that in my life. I don't want business relationships like that I don't want personal relationships like that, and I'm far far from perfect, but I aspire to be better every day and and if I see people that that don't have that same aspiration and are content. Um, being misleading and, and living under that guise, I
1: don't need him around. Absolutely. It's, it's almost ruthless, but at the same time, you, you need to be, you need to kind of remove yourself from the toxicity, right? That's, that's the most important thing.
0: I think you have to be ruthless.
1: I, I mean, you, you are who you hang out with, you are how
0: you carry yourself, um, mm-hmm. and, and time is fleeting. You, you never know when your time is up. So, what, you know, life's too short to drink shitty wine, life's too short to surround yourself with shitty
1: people. How do you how do you do that? Because that that's something that's a question that I get asked all the time. Because over the over the years, and and maybe the distance made it easy for me. But obviously, moving from from Toronto to to Sydney, there was a lot of people that I I wouldn't say just stopped speaking to, but it was almost a ruthless approach to say, you know what, I'm doing okay. Like that's that's a bit toxic. I probably wouldn't keep that relationship up. But I think at first, you know, a lot of a lot of those people were were a bit pissed off and essentially the, the distance was the easiest thing to blame it on, but I did it for my own mindset. You know, I don't like hanging around negative people. Life is too short to do that. How do you do it? How do you do it in a in a respectful way? Because sometimes it's not your, your friends or coworkers. Sometimes it's your family, right? So how do you do it in a respectful way? I, I just
0: control my engagement. I, I mean, for me,
1: I, I, I've never have this
0: overriding need or necessity for people to like me. I, it's just never been my thing. And, and it's helped me at times but I, I think more than than not it's helped me and uh, honestly it, it I just don't engage with them uh, and and I've got that with family too and trust me it's not it doesn't make Christmas easy it doesn't make people happy they're they're upset but I I, I just don't engage you know I, I treat I have uh, my friends are the family I chose um, I and I love my family as well but at the end of the day the way that I show that love the way that I engage with those people that's my choice. It's my time. This is my life. And and just because I was born into something or I grew up with a certain circle of friends or I get to make the decisions around what I do and where I do and I have to own those decisions. So for me, it just came down to if I have negative people in my life and I don't want to be a part of that, I remove myself from it. And, and you you know, if somebody asks you the question, you have to be um, person enough to respond to them and let them know why. You know, here's the behavior. Here's here's what I see from you. And, and I'm not about that. So, um you know, I. I I can still be friendly with you, but we're not going to hang out all the time. If we see each other, uh, we grab a beer, and, and it is what it is. If we don't, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. And if people take offense to that, you didn't want them in your life anyway. So why are you
1: concerned? <laughs> Correct. I love that, man. I love that. that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Listen, I know it's, it's Friday afternoon, there, so I don't want to keep you too long. But I, I do have a couple quick questions, and, uh, and then we'll yeah. wrap up. But um, and I'm really enjoying this, so I feel like we should maybe do a part two uh, later on. But uh, what what is what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? And, and and I know one was obviously leaving Raycon to join this new company. But what's another risk that you feel that you've taken and, and it's paid off? Oh, boy, a risk that I've taken and it's paid off. You know, I, do you want a business risk or is this a life question? I mean, there's there's a. Few, there's... You know, um, give me give me a life question. Give me a life answer.
0: I mean,
1: ah, geez,
0: I would say that the biggest risk I ever took is is a shared risk, and I I got together with with my wife twelve years ago, and and we you know we came from very different paths. I was really clear growing up, and this this is another lesson: don't be definitive because nothing is for sure, but I, I was positive. I didn't want kids. I, I knew that that wasn't who I was. I was, you know, I was man enough to admit that I was too selfish for that. And I wanted to live my life and travel, blah, blah, blah. But I met, I met somebody that just drove me in a different direction. She just, she was so right for me in my own mind that, you know, she had two kids and, and they were, they weren't super young, but she had come out of a, a bad marriage and, and, you know. When when we met, she was just right for me. Like she challenged nobody. So rarely did I get challenged, intellectually challenged by people. It was it, it's something that I really like. I, I enjoy that engagement. And with my wife, I'm intellectually challenged and stimulated. Um, you know, part of part and parcel with her was was having those kids and being a part of their lives and having to step up and um, not be selfish and be selfless and and contribute mm-hmm. to to who they were becoming and who they were going to be. And I I would say that, you know, the the biggest risk with the biggest payoff, I wouldn't be the man I am today um, in so many positive ways if it wasn't for those kids. Um, they, They force you to be a better person. They force you to think about, you know, when you get pissed off at work one day and you're like, you know what, I'm going to quit this job and blah, blah, blah. You can't do that. I have a family to take care of when you, when you want to react to something in a negative way and they're looking at you and you know, they're sponges and they're, you know, they're, they're building their understanding of, of how you should act and react to things in the world. You, you have to take a deep breath and and handle things in a, in a more diplomatic way. And and sometimes you, you know, you have to engage in conversations that you don't want to engage in. And just having those two kids in my life is. uh, has dramatically changed who i am and in my opinion in such a positive way so that would be the the biggest risk and for a lot of people who are listening they're like, oh, that's not a big risk i have six kids. I, I mean for for a guy who never wanted kids that was a huge risk for me huge wow. risk. that that's beautiful
1: man that's beautiful what what are you most proud of so far
0: I'm like, most proud of. I, well, i Listen, first and foremost, I'm proud of those two kids. Um, their mom deserves most of that credit, but uh, I've played a small part in that scenario. I think if I I go beyond that and I look at what I'm most proud of of for myself is, um, I think I think attitude is everything, and I, I think about this a lot, and I posted a little bit about it, and I I talked to 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 my team about this, and attitude is absolutely everything, and I, I mean for me. There's, there's a lot of my friends that, that I grew up with that came from, again, the wrong side of the tracks from families that maybe were, were a little bit or a lot dysfunctional and didn't have a lot of money, and and they fell prey to, to, to society's traps of, you know, drugs, alcohol, um, you know, the, a lack of education, sometimes criminal behavior. I mean— that was the the easy way out, and it, I'm sure for a lot of them, especially anybody that served served any time from that world, it doesn't seem easy. But the easy way out was to just you know fall back on, you know I I was never given a chance. I, I nobody believed in me. Teachers told me I'd never amount to anything. I, you can use that energy, that negative energy, and and that that set of challenges, and and you can um, buy into buy into it and and you know not try and not struggle and not hustle and and just let life take you where it may or you take control of it and you take that negative energy and you turn that into um, fuel to to you know it becomes a chip on your shoulder which can be dangerous, but you want to use it to show them they were wrong. You want to use it to make yourself have a better life. You you want to remember what it's like not to have eaten in a couple of days and and to to put some food in your stomach and and to feel good. I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad when I have a nice bottle of wine. I fucking earned it. Every single day for the last 20 years, I've earned it. Um, it doesn't make me better than anybody else. It doesn't make me different than everybody else. We're all sharing this human experience, but I sit back and, and make that purchase and enjoy that um, because I know that I could have never tasted it in my life. If I had taken the other route and I had bought into all the, the negative um crap, I I I could have been living a very different life. So for me, I'm most proud of the fact that um every single day I make the choice to to take the negativity, to take the doubt and, and to turn it into something positive and try and make a, an impact on myself, those around me, and and those that, that are within my sphere of influence. And and that's what I'm most
1: proud of. That is what you call a great answer. So thank you for that. Now my final question is is essentially just on on, on advice and, and I want to give I want you to give advice on two things one is career progression for anyone you know wanting to join sales and the other is your, your mindset which I so admire how do you keep such a positive mindset and such a strong mindset and again career progression uh, advice for for anyone listening
0: yeah I, I I'll, I'm gonna answer them in two separate answers if you don't mind I, I mean of course the, the career progression one it's funny I was I was <laughs> I was sitting for for lunch today, um, talking to a, a friend and colleague of mine, and, and we were having a similar conversation. But career progression has really, really always, no matter what you're doing, even if it's in sales or anything else, um, it's the person who's willing to learn, fail, apply the learning from that failure, and hustle who's going to win. Um, you know, The Rock talks about it all the time, and people laugh. They they think The Rock's just this big show. That that guy's intense. He's he's got a lot of meat behind what he says and, and that the idea that nobody's going to outwork you. If you can if you can live that mentality, if you can wake up and live that mentality, it doesn't mean that you're dedicated to work 24 hours a day, but it means when when you're getting when you're engaging in your job and you start at 7 and you end at 5, you give everything that you have from 7 to 5 and shit. This doesn't happen every day. Everybody has off days. But if more often than not you're giving it your all um and you're hustling you're going to be successful. When when somebody needs something done, when the office is going to have a move, move putting your hand up and, and being a part of that uh, is how you get noticed. When when there's extra things that maybe you don't get paid for, maybe you don't get recognition for, but they're going to give you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about areas that, that you don't have a lot of knowledge of, being willing to engage and hustle and learn and listen and adapt, that that's a superpower. And the people that do that succeed. The people that Oh, I'm off at five. I leave at five every day. I got to catch my train because I'm a regimented person and I need to have dinner by 630 and, and my family time my family time. That's cool. You're an individual contributor and and you're always going to be left wanting unless and there's some people that are fine with that. But most people that I hear that are like, oh, I never get the opportunities. I was never given an opportunity. I created my opportunities. And there's Correct. a fundamental difference there. If you sit back and and you you sing that song of nobody's given me a chance, I haven't had any luck, that's bullshit. Look in the mirror and, and look at the people who have succeeded. They created their opportunities. They took the risks. They spent the extra time. They read the books that were boring uh, and they applied the knowledge and they were willing to fall flat on their face and then get back up and do it again. That's the hustle that, that becomes a, a game
1: changer for people. So how do you get yeah, ahead? I, I love that. It, it goes out. back to action, right? Yeah. It, it just it goes back to action one hundred percent because I'm I'm the same as you. Listen, I and again this may be the asshole in me, but I don't feel sorry for you if you complain that you have nothing, but you you do absolutely nothing. Yeah. That, to me, zero remorse. Go out and create it. Create your own opportunity. So I love that. Yeah. I get what you give, right? And, and sorry, should, what was the second part of that question? I went off on a tangent. No, no worries. Uh, again, just mindset. So that was, that was career progression. So how do you, how do you keep such a positive mindset? And I think you, you may have answered, you know, a bit of both in that one answer, but let's end off with, with how you keep such a positive mindset and how do you stay so calm? Cause you're obviously very calm and collected.
0: I think a positive mindset is to me, at least it's what you surround yourself with. And I, I, you got to surround yourself with positive people. Um, you have to surround yourself with, with people that do, are calm, cool and collected um you if you surround yourself with positivity, I mean, I'm looking at my wall and and Shiv, I'll take a picture of it so you you don't think I'm full of shit when I get <laughs> off the call I'm looking at the wall in my home office right now um and you know from from left to right, I've got a picture of of Buddha and I'm not a an overly spiritual person, but there's a lot within Buddhism that resonates with me it says the quieter quieter that you become, the more you hear um i I look on my wall, four habits for integrity is written on my wall. Um, there's another one from Kush wisdom. uh, Your life is a result of your choices. If you don't like your life, it's time to make better choices. Um, you know, if you surround yourself with positivity and positive people, you, nobody likes to be the odd one out. You're going to develop a positive mindset. Um, if if you look at things and you say, this didn't work, but damn, I can make this work. Now it doesn't mean I I have my bad moments too. I get pissed off about things. I, I get upset, but but, you know, I always try and remember this too shall pass. And, and all of this stuff sounds cliche, but surround yourself with positivity. Surround yourself with that with attitude adjustment that says, you know, go forward, try again, um, be present, do your best, um, make good choices. If you surround yourself with that stuff, it it resonates. It it starts to really become your mindset. and. And if you can take that mindset along with that hustle into life on a daily basis, success will find you. And success—don't define success by having millions and millions of dollars. Because yeah, that—I know so many people that have millions of dollars and they're brutally unhappy. Um, they yeah. search for more, and their search for different is there because they—you they, know—they're the glass is never full enough. You know, find your happiness. Find your tribe. And and really just try and stay positive no matter what happens. Um, deal with the curveballs because
1: they're coming and and get back up. That's that's what I think every day. That is that is beautiful, man. Thank you so much. And and listen, it's it's Saturday morning here, and you arguably you've made my weekend. So thank you so much. Uh, I can't wait to re-listen to this and edit so I can get pumped up again. But uh, Chris, you know, thank you so much for being honest and transparent and, and credible on this and. You're an amazing person, amazing human being, and, and you're doing a lot. I think you're doing a lot more than you think. You know, people probably look at you. and You are, I'm sure, many people's mentors. You're definitely one of mine. So um, thank you for that, and I really appreciate everything that you do.
0: Well, those are some very kind words. and. I appreciate it, Shiv. I'm a fan from afar, from another continent, so keep, keep up the good work on what you're doing. Um, I know that people that are listening to to these kind of shows, this is the format that people want to engage in, and and I love that you're doing this. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come on and chat, and um, I'm willing to chat anytime, man.
1: Awesome. I can't wait to do this again. Thanks, Chris. Well, you're
0: welcome. Have a great weekend.
1: Cheers. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more information, visit ShivRad.com. Peace! That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind.